Shalom! Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. We are in Galatians, the Epistle to Galatians, chapter 1, having done the introduction last week, and uh, we acknowledge the Lord's presence by prayer. We know that he is here, and we uh, invite him again. So, Brother Neville, would you pray us in as we start? Yeah, okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence with us in all the things we've been doing. And, Father, we, we especially ask for your presence this evening to guide us and lead us through your word. And we pray you'd bless and anoint Aaron as he teaches. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Amen. Okay, so this is from, uh, as is our tradition, we read the um, notes from last week as I made it. So you can follow along in the chat box, although if you're, if you're listening on the podcast, you can see uh, the notes would also be available online. So the epistle to the Galatians opens with Paul's name and Paul's authorship of the letter is the least controversial issue in the epistle. Even Marcion, the second century heretic, agreed that the letter to the Galatians had been penned by Paul. Basically, if there's any document on the Bible that's written by Paul, it's this one. The Galatians appear to have been a people, a people group migrating westwards from the Danube. They continued to settle west into Gaul, which is present-day France, and into Britain, where they took on the name of Celts. Three tribes arrived into Asia Minor, that's now Turkey, sometime around 227 BC, functioning as mercenaries for the Bithynian king Nicomedes. Pompey, the Roman general, awarded the Galatians the status of client kingdom in 64 BC, prior to his arrival in Jerusalem, and an area in Asia Minor became known as Galatia. So it gives you the background as to how they got there. The epistle to the Galatians contains the most amount of autobiographical material of all of Paul's epistles combined. Paul is not just in the... Paul is just not in the habit of talking about himself all that much. Oh, that some preachers would be so humble. Other apostles and evangelists do not write epistles. So why does Paul? Jesus was not in the habit of constructing written documents. So where did Paul get the idea from? His teacher, Gamaliel, the first person named as a rabbi in the Pirkeavot. He wrote three epistles as the head of the Sanhedrin. Paul has learned something from his former master, something the other disciples have not had the opportunity to learn. There has been some debate in scholarship as to whether 1 Thessalonians or Galatians was, the, was Paul's first preserved written work. Dating the epistle, like trying to date all ancient texts, is problematic. However, it has to have occurred sometime prior to 51-52, based on the literal evidence of Paul before Galileo in Corinth. That's recorded in Acts 18. Galileo was a proconsul in Corinth, but his, his tenureship finished in 1552. Much discussion in academia revolves around the dating of the crucifixion and Paul's Damascus Road experience. You can go online and see a plethora of articles and discussions about it. The crucifixion is argued to have occurred between 29 and 33, 
based on seismic records, that is, based on major earthquakes that were known to have occurred as the Gospels record an earthquake, and also based on the proposed birth date of Jesus, which oscillates between 8 and 4 BC, with some suggestions being 2 BC. These dates relate to King Herod's death and his desire to exterminate male children under the age of two years. Now, my personal opinion on the matter, this is personal, follows the Orthodox, the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox tradition, that Jesus was born around 8 BC and he died aged 37, following the Jewish tradition that Isaac was 37 at the Akidah incident, placing the crucifixion at the early earthquake date of 29 AD. This would place the timing of Paul's calling at Damascus occurring around 30-31. Paul first visits Jerusalem, that occurs in Galatians 1.18, having spent three years in Arabia and Damascus. His second visit to Jerusalem is in Galatians 2, after 14 years for a consultation accompanied by Barnabas and Titus, which is described in Acts 11.30, and it is in response to a revelation, that's what Galatians 2.2 says, which could be linked to the prophecy of Agabus in, in Acts 11.28, where Agabus, a prophet, prophesied that there would be a famine. This could be the revelation that's been described as in uh, Galatians 2.2. With the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15 occurring in 48-49, it is a hotly contested as to whether Paul writes Galatians prior to or subsequent to the council. Now, I tend to favor before the council, as Paul does not mention the encyclical produced by that council, of which he is in possession of, and of which Peter has spoken so positively for. Of course, I could be totally wrong. What we do know is there is an issue within the community. The Diocletian pogroms against Christians had not yet occurred. Pressure is not coming from outside the community. Rather, this is an internal problem that needs to be addressed. This is something within the household of faith. A social issue of, of the day that needs to be noted in the, in the context of Galatians is the issue of boundaries. Who is in and who's out of a given community? How would you recognize a Jewish person in the diaspora in late antiquity? Was it dress, hairstyle, observance of the Sabbath, or food purchases in the market that would identify a member of the Jewish group? What was the status and boundaries of God-fearers within the Jewish and Gentile worlds? What self-identity, external identity, and social standing did they have, this is the God-fearers, within the Jewish community? These issues will come to bear as concerns for the new emerging Jesus movement. What should you wear? How should you behave? Whom should you associate with? And with whom can you have table fellowship? Prior to the discovery and publication of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the epistles did not have parallel historical documents to compare form, subject, and voice. Included in the treasure trove of the Qumran Scrolls are six fag fragments, which are collectively titled 4QMMT. They form together a halakhic letter that is very similar to Galatians and including the term Mixat Maaseya Torah, the works of the law. This term 
then has been confirmed not to have been an invention of Paul, which prior to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls that people thought it was. It has been formally, as it had been formally postulated, but it is now rather a known term that is used by Paul to enforce a theological and halakhic point. And when we get to that point, we should see what Paul's doing with it. And we can read the, the Qumran scroll and see what they're doing with it and see how Paul differs with their approach. What is halakha? For those that might not know, halakha has been the term to describe how you walk out and practice and put your faith into practice. With this background now behind us, we open the epistle to receive the teachings of the Lord through his servant, Paul. Let's read the first 10 verses. I'm actually reading from right now an NIV. That's because my ESV is not here. It's sitting in another room. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. I'm reading one of the more modern NIVs. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting from the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. For we have already said, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of the Messiah of Christ. So based on just a literal overview, what do you notice? What do you see? The stage is set here by Paul and uh, of a dramatic conflict. And in fact, if we read the literal words, it is between the true gospel and a false one that, in fact, is not in the household of faith. This is a life or death issue, either in or out. Okay, so Paul is setting the stage for a big thing coming. Yeah, and there's strong language from the outset, really, you know, let them be accursed. Yeah. Now, REA, what's the actual Greek word there mean? That's that, that anathema. It is anathema. It says, let him be a curse, literally. It's anathema. Okay. Anathema is interesting because it actually, <laughs> biblically speaking, is more, it probably is coming from the Old Testament, which has uh, different meanings, most of them not so good. The, the main association in the, the Old Testament is the cherem of Achan, who took the curse thing uh, when they had the spoils from uh, um, Ai and uh, Bethel. It's okay. a bad thing. Ah, now did that cherem apply just to Achan or did it apply to his family? Well, it was uh, all of Achan's family, I, as I recall, was burned with him. 
Okay. Uh, it, that's not the only usage of the term, but it's the most outstanding one that we associate with this word. It's such a dramatic story. Okay. It can be, in fact, also, I think once or twice, it's used as a thing that's devoted to the Lord, like a, a sacrifice, that, uh, an animal that cannot be redeemed because it is, is a cherem ladonai. Oh, really? So it's actually set aside for the Lord, and that's the word used that it's called? There are one, one, I think there's one usage of such in either Exodus or I, actually I think it's Leviticus. Okay. But the over, overwhelming associate of the world is negative. Yep. It's the cursed thing that Ahan uh, laid his hands on. So what's the difference between that curse and the anathema in Revelation? Well, we'd have to uh, look at Revelation. Anathema in Greek actually this is the Jewish version of anathema. Anathema in the pagan version of Greek, it's a votive offering of some kind that they would bring and tack to the wall or set up an altar of some kind in, the, in their pagan temple. Say that again. It's, it's uh, the Greek use in the pagan world is a pagan a use. Greek, Greek, we have to bear in mind when we read our New Testament, we're probably reading Septuagint usages. We need to prefer them at least. But there's a whole separate pagan culture that it, these words came out of before the Septuagint was made. Does everybody understand what Arya just said? Not okay, really. There's a few people who are going, okay, well, so Arya, you're going to have to unpack okay. uh, to a lot of non-Greek scholars <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> okay, let me go over that uh, <laughs> slowly with two-syllable words, I hope. Yeah, please. There are two usages of the word anathema. Now, the word in anathema Greek. is the, just for those who are listening on podcast land. Yes. The word anathema is the word that we're translating in our English, let him be accursed. Yes, cursed. Which we've it's, used twice. That is the Old Testament sense of this word in Jewish literature. It is the word anathema that said the translators of the Septuagint chose to translate the Hebrew word cherem. And the primary association of cherem is the cursed thing that Ahan took out of the spoils when the children of Israel fought against Ai and Bethel, as I recall. Now, in pagan usage of Greek, before the Jews came along and translated, used that, their language to translate the Bible into Greek as the Septuagint, it is a votive offering that the pagan Greek would bring to the temple of whatever particular god he's paying homage to. A votive, votive offering meaning a, a physical something or other, usually a plaque or a memorial that he's going to memorialize his god or, or give him the honor of some kind. Okay, so it doesn't actually have a negative term in, in the pagan. If you're, a pagan, if you're a pagan, this does not have a negative term. If you were a, a Jew reading uh, Old Testament Greek, it's very negative. Got it. Okay, so there you go. That is the reason why it's good to have the Septuagint background to the, to the New Testament. Otherwise, if we were just using a, a pagan uh, world usage, we wouldn't quite understand what Paul's saying. And this, in fact, happens frequently across the Old New Testament. The first English translations that were made, the translators, starting with William Tyndall, liked to prefer the pagan Greek because it suited their uh, Protestant doctrines better than the Jewish Greek. Ah, Jewish Greek, that's and, an interesting term. Also to add to it, um, in, in modern usage, um, it's a word that the Pope used to curse someone that is an heretic. 
uh, if the Pope uses the word for summary anatema, then the person is called an heretic. I mean, it's ruled out and it's, it's, called, it's deflocked from the community. Do, do you happen to know, Shimshon, when the first time the Pope ever did that? Is it during the Reformation? I, he used it for um, Martin Luther. Um, okay. He used it against Martin Luther, not the Pope directly, but is uh, one of his um, one of his advisors um, used it on Martin Luther when Martin Luther claimed to have his authority from the Scripture, and um, he challenged the Pope and he says, "Who is the Pope?" And um, so they they called him an Atama. So that's a pretty pretty strong word that jumps out. Is there anything else that jumps out? I know it's only ten verses, and I know it's only this the introduction to the text so yes okay roddy go so uh this word gospel maybe it means good news um we we'll have to look at the greek translation i don't know so what is the good news and what's the difference between paul's gospel and yeshua's gospel paul's good news and yeshua's good news mm. or is there even a difference very interesting. Yeah. What do you, okay. Obviously, I don't know the answer because if I did, I'd be probably <laughs> writing lots of books right now. Does anyone have can jump in there? Well, what does Yeshua preach? Uh, he preaches the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua preached the kingdom of God is at hand. And, um, and that's the same thing John the Baptist preached. I've never thought about it that way anyway. No, neither have I, Shimshon. This is like a Roddy's throwing me a curveball. And so, and so, is there a difference? Though this is this is but, what I'm asking, and I've been but, asking this question for seven years. But there can't really be a difference because if we look at the there is there's a doctrine these days that says um, I've heard some people say you don't have to listen to uh, the first four books of the New Testament, which is Christ teaching, because that's past, and there's other doctrines now that are saying we don't have to listen to Paul because he's a heretic but they actually don't disagree because the kingdom of God is Christ Amen. ultimately Amen. and so if we understand Amen. what the kingdom of God is then the, they they're unified there's no difference in what Paul's saying because okay, so, he's actually endorsing what Christ came to do yeah so essentially we we acknowledge that the gospel the good news that is preached by the Messiah and the one that is followed by Paul have to be the same. Yeah. Um, exactly yeah. how they're saying. Well, we're going to work yeah. that out. Or we're going to explore a, that. How's that? I have a problem with Paul uh, claiming that his word is above an angel of heaven. Okay. That's an interesting thought. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even, even Peter said that the, the teachings of Paul are difficult to understand. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> If it was difficult for for Peter, I mean, it's going to be very difficult for many of us. <laughs> um, it be. Think, um, so if if God never changes, and he doesn't, mm -hmm. and Yeshua is God in the flesh, the Son of God, and Yeshua appears to Paul, and show Paul is following Yeshua, God, then he's not going to be saying anything different. We have to figure out what it is that he's saying and the way he's saying it which is going to be the same thing as it's always been. The same exactly. yesterday as it is today as it is tomorrow. Okay. A hyperbolic phrase that Paul is using, and he gets away with this in other places. You know, he also refers to the weaknesses of God, you know, or, or the, the foolishness of God is, is wiser than the wisdom of man. 
you know, but it's God foolish. No, yeah. no, no, it's not. But he's using it as a kind of rhetorical device. So I wouldn't um, yeah. worry about this, uh, an angel from heaven, you know, preaching a duff gospel. Well, actually, Tom put in a very interesting comment in the chat, which I will share with the uh, listeners. The devil was an angel of heaven, was he not? Yes. Yes. And did he preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven? No, he did not. And so, so Rocky, that's an interesting point put there by um, by Tom. That uh, yeah, even angels from heaven can lead us astray, as we have seen that they do. So um, that's an interesting thought. There's some doctrines today that actually have their revelation from an angel that has come down. Even even Muhammad was supposedly had an angel come down to him. And I've heard several testimonies of Muslims that have turned to Christ. And it was this verse that actually really got to them, that this angel that supposedly revealed these doctrines are misleading. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Aria, uh, last point before we um, launch into it. You were going to say something. Yes, I would uh, suggest that we take into account the possibility of progressive revelation here. I don't believe that we want another foundation or can expect one than Christ Jesus, but there are aspects of his person and his work that he himself, in fact, at the end of his uh, resurrection ministry said, you're not ready to receive these things yet, everything I'd like to tell you. So Paul appears to have had a a progressed revelation beyond what even the apostles had in and through, up into including the resurrection Bible studies that they had with Jesus himself. And so we shouldn't necessarily say it's a different gospel. It's, I, I believe, a more advanced revelation of gospel. Very interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that one before. Okay, thanks, Arie. For me, several. I, I see um, Paul being very shocked at the... At, the, at, the, at how quick the people turned away from the grace or the gospel that was given to them initially from the good news, how the people turned away from it. Um, it was so shocking to Paul that he, he, he was expecting that they will really dwell in it and maybe later on there'll be problems, but it was as if it was almost immediately that they got the word and they, they kind of um, began to go into heresies. Awesome. All right, guys, very good points there. Um, I hope everybody out in in podcast land isn't having heart palpitations right now. Um, We will start with the first sentence. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus the Messiah and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. All right. So Paul, an apostle. What does it mean to be an apostle? A sliha, sliha, whatever, sliha. Wait. Um, Aliyah, we, here I am. <laughs> I am listening, so it's my turn to speak now. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before you, yeah, before you go. So he's, he's being sent. He's the sent one. Yeah, and so the one right. that's sent is in the he's in the um he's he's the one that's being sent is like the one that has sent him so yes. he's 
He's being like, like Yeshua was also the sent one from God. Yep. And so, Paul, so he comes in the likeness of the one that's being sent and has the authority of the one that's being sent. So, so Mordecai, yes. So what is an apostle? What is the classic understanding of an apostle, guys? I'm going to ask Mordecai a little bit about his personal um, application of an apostle in a minute. But, but, but part of the background, if someone says an apostle, what do you think of? Very holy, right? Oh, 12 apostles, you know? Okay, 12 apostles. Okay, we got the big holy 12. The, right? the disciples of Jesus Christ, that's... Um, were automatically transformed into apostles when Jesus left. <laughs> yeah, right. But there's more. There's more than twelve, isn't there? Yeah. All right. So who who are the other two that show up? The replacements for uh, Judas. Yeah. Anyone remember his name? Matthias. Yes, Matthias. Yep. He he actually has the distinct um, and unique calling because. He was chosen not by Jesus and not by the Holy Spirit. He was chosen by Lot. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? You know, he's chosen <laughs> in that in that little gap period. And you go, oh, my gosh, well, what, how did that happen? Uh, he ends up having an interesting history. If anybody ever likes to read hagiography, I do every now and again. Um, mainly that's through um, Catholic libraries and and. He's got a, no one can figure out whether he actually got, he was martyred or whether he actually lived an old life. There's lots of different versions of where he ended up. He went north, south, east, west. He went all over the place. Basically, it looks like no one has a clue what happened to him. Okay. One of the stories is probably true, but I don't know which one. So, uh, yeah, Carino asks, is not a lot reliant on the Holy Spirit? Well, could be. What we, when, we, when we read and studied the Acts of the Holy Spirit, we had a very interesting discussion on this uh, point, um, noticing that uh, the, the book of Acts, being sacred history and, and, and not a gospel, shows us what people did in the past, but doesn't set, us, set up patterns for how you do things in the future. That being, we don't choose pastors by rolling dice. We, we usually want them to go to Bible college these days, um, normally. Not always, but it tends to happen. So, so uh, it could be, it could be that the lot you is, is, is used by the Holy Spirit. And, we, and in the book of Acts study, uh, which is online, probably somewhere um, in the Christchurch uh, website, database, um, we had a discussion on... Uh, the, the, the context of casting lots, because in the, in, the, in the Jewish practice, you had the Urim and Thummim. You had these ways of being able to contact and reach the divine using magical devices. Um, so there was a precedence, and also for obviously Purim, you had a, you had a, a Jewish background to... Uh, to the casting of lots. It wasn't some sort of pagan thing that they just didn't in, in, invented. Uh, however, that practice of casting lots for choosing leaders finished once the Holy Spirit, it seems to have, uh, have come. So, apostle, guys, I haven't, haven't quite haven't heard from you. What's an apostle? Before I ask Mordecai his thing, okay? Stephen, go for it. Yeah, it's one who is sent 
from a specific organization or group okay. to represent that group. So based on that re reading, there are apostles today, yes? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, okay. but not correct, yes. Yes, but, okay, you said a but. What's the but? Well, um, it depends on who's sending them uh, within the confines. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Shimshon's sending them, so it's all good. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, but in terms of the if the true understanding of what an apostle is, one who was sent, can be sent by anything, as long as they represent who they're being sent by. These had a special class in terms of their connectivity with Jesus. Sure. And so they became more than a disciple. Yes, because um, when I order Domino's pizza and um, in Israel... Then I have to give my telephone number, and then about 10, 15 minutes later, I get a text, and it says, Hashaliach shel Domino's Pizza, in Pizza Chama. The apostle of Domino's Pizza will arrive in five minutes with a hot pizza. And you think, oh, praise the Lord. Okay? I always wanted St. Peter to show up. With a, with a pizza. Okay. That's our kind of a positive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so does, it knock, does it knock on the door? The women see it. They tell everyone. No one believes. Is that kind of what you say? I'm going to try that next time, Garrett, uh, Aaron, and see what happens. Might have to tip in a bit bigger at the end. But anyway, okay. When they, when they choose the apostle, don't they turn around and say in Acts that they have to be been with Christ from the beginning? And, and basically stayed with him through his ministry. And that was the criteria for selecting an apostle. But we also do know that today we have the ministry where you can have apostles and teachers, etc. Okay, so let's have a look at the um, Acts passage that you're referring to. Yeah, I was, was going to add to that. So yeah, it's, it's um, the agent, it comes in the, in the same authority as a commissioner. So when he was at the house in, in Ananias, Hananias, said to him, go for he is a chosen through the Lord, right? Uh, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. So he's coming in the name. He's representing, he's being commissioned in the name uh, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So that's in Acts 9, verse 15. Okay. Yeshua never told us that he was going to make a special visit to anyone. He actually told us that he was going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit of the Father, down to counsel us and teach us. So I don't know that it was Jesus. Maybe Paul thought he saw Jesus, and maybe it was uh, the Prince of Darkness leading uh, the okay. Christians away from the Jewish faith. All right. Well, that's an interesting point you raised, Rocky. Um, most of us will disagree with you, um, mainly because, I guess, it's uh, the tradition of the church is and has been taught and is believed and, uh, I think, proven that Paul didn't encounter a demon, as we would say. Although, that is an interesting point that you raise. But, uh, I mean, to do that, you would dismiss... All, is that your position? You would dismiss all of the New Testament by the Gospels? Well, no, no. Um, because that's the conclusion would you would come. If Paul has met a demon, that means that, that the revelation that he has received would there be from, not from heaven. So you would be very reticent 
to include his texts in the Bible. So your Bible would be very small, I would assume. Yeah, so, uh, it would get a lot smaller. <laughs> it would definitely get a lot smaller. So anyway, let's have a look at uh, what... Just Can I just add one thing to that comment? Is that Paul actually went to the disciples as well, which we'll read later, and they confirmed he wasn't preaching a miss. Correct. But yeah. uh, he did that's go away right. from the law. Uh, no, no, Rocky, that's, um, that's not correct. Actually, wait. He, uh, the mainstream, when you look at Galatians in that eyes, it seems as though he's leading people away. He's the antinomos, but he's actually not. Yeah. He's, he's not. So, so people think that Paul is actually draws people away. That's why, I'm, but it's actually the opposite. So it'll be well, very interesting. Well, if not one thing is supposed to change, add or subtract from Torah, then how do you subtract circumcision? Well, he he doesn't subtract circumcision. I don't, I, I don't think I don't think Paul subtracted the circumcision. I think most of the most of the inconsistency in Paul is due to interpretation. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have interpreted many things Paul said out of context. Um, yep. Paul was somebody yeah. that had to even do the the Nazarite vow. He had to do a lot of um, very Jewish things just to send the message, not because he needed to, to do it, but just for him to send the message to the other people that this is not what I'm trying to send. I'm not trying to take people away from the way or the traditions of the father. In fact, one of the things that he was accused of by, by, the, by the authorities then was that he was leading people away from the ways of the fathers. And he had to go to the temple to prove otherwise. So that's a very, very strong message that Paul sent in that way. I think um, it's been mis misinterpreted that um, it's resulting a lot of inconsistency. Like I always quote that Paul's teaching, yes, that many of them are difficult to understand as, as Peter has said, and I think it's first Peter 3.16. Peter said that quoting Paul that yes, uh, yeah. this man's teaching is difficult. And um, we need to have the background to really understand this teaching. And also, Rocky, circumcision is always, even in the Hebrew Bible, it says circumcision is always of the heart. It's always a matter of the heart. And Not and one jot or tittle will change. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, None we'll of them agree with you, Rocky. Yeah. I mean, here, Tom Fields, Tom Fields just uh, wrote something, uh, which I agree with, you know. It's not written around, just not required for Gentiles. You know, Jews still are obligated to do that. So, but the Gentiles, why should they? I mean, in America, everybody does it, but in, in not a you know Jewish way, but at the hospital. So, yeah, not a big deal. Okay. You know, one of the things that that Paul would have experienced, and also Peter, especially when they saw the Ruach Hakodesh coming upon the Gentiles. I mean, for them, they would have just maybe seen these guys eat their pork, eat their non-kosher meal. And in the next meeting, and they see the Ruach HaKodesh coming on them. And the Ruach HaKodesh did not discriminate on those things. And it still came on them. And at that point in time, they will be so surprised. I mean, it, it, Paul was very surprised. Peter was very surprised. And he had to teach this to the others of the apostles. That's... The Holy Spirit came on them without discriminating them. And so we must try to pick from the background 
that these people were first learners. They were beginning to learn that um, the rock is coming on people, um, even looking at um, what they eat and things like that did not stop the rock HaKodesh from coming to them and that it's a progression, that things are going to happen in progression. The people are going to learn the ways of the Torah. They're not going to leave the way of the Torah. They're going to learn the way of the Torah because that's the ultimate goal of everything um, Paul taught. Paul taught keeping the feast. Paul taught about the, the, the circumcision and he, he really encouraged circumcision. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember who, who he asked for about the circumcision, and he, he really followed up with yeah. that. To be done. Yeah, so, yeah, Timothy. Yeah, he, he followed. He followed up on Timothy for his circumcision because he needed to send a message home. Um, I think it's just the misinterpretation of um, Paul's teaching that is resulting yes. those inconsistencies. Yeah. Wow, Rabbi Shimon, you you lectured as well. Thank you. <laughs> I know he teaches. Look, we. we we will not be able to finish this chapter, I guess. We just read one verse and we are in the 50 minutes now. Yeah, I knew I knew that opening up Galatians was going to do this kind of stuff. I just knew it. Oh, let's take a short book. We'll get through it quickly. Man, no way. No. The, the, the themes, and, and this is good, by the way, because uh, Tom Fields is leaving, but he just sent me a message saying, please send me the link. I really love this discussion and want to follow it through. These are important topics. These are important topics for the people of God back in Galatians. That's why it's in our Bible. It's important for us today. It speaks to us today. And we need to wrestle with uh, these things. And we should not run away, as, you, as those of you who know me. You do not run away from tension or uh, a problem. You, by the grace of God, stand, and with the Holy Spirit, we talk and we discuss and we um, and we learn. Okay, well, Aaron brought up, brought up uh, tradi church tradition, and that has led us astray from the beginning. I wouldn't say that. It led some people astray, but it's also kept some things grounded. Um, you, it's, you, I wouldn't throw out church tradition uh, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, well, I yeah. used to I used to go to church religiously every Christmas and Easter, mm -hmm. and that was it. And now, uh, come to find out, those are both pagan traditions. They are not. They're not. <laughs> Just like Paul made himself into whoever he was trying to teach, he tried to be like them so he could com communicate with them, and then the Catholic. Roman Catholic Church does the same thing. They just try to beat the pagans in order to bring them in. Well, that's also, some, sometimes that happens, but that, that again is also throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, a lot of what we get taught... Can I say something? Yeah, go right ahead, Roddy. So as, as a Jewish believer living in Israel in Jerusalem, I think we're missing the whole point of this conversation so far, Rocky, is that Paul's not going to say something or teach something that goes against God or Yeshua. It's how we are taking it and misinterpreting it. We need to start thinking about what is he telling us that is in perfect line with God and Yeshua. And it's not that difficult to do. We just have to think about it and discuss it with that concept in mind, as opposed to being antagonistic towards Paul because we have been told that he's changed things. He's not. We just have yeah. to think about how to understand it. That's, that's 
That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think in order to deceive someone, you need enough truth in there to make it believable. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think I don't think I would say Paul's deceived. Definitely not. I think our, I, I agree with Roddy. Our understanding of perhaps what Paul is saying might be misconstrued through history, but we have the opportunity to relook at him again in the light of a the Holy Spirit, uh, the Jewish roots background. We have Jewish believers here who read Paul and love him very much, and uh, so I, I wouldn't throw, wouldn't uh, dismiss him as as quickly as that. And yeah. I certainly, well, no, I, I am yeah. keeping an open mind, although I am suspicious. Okay, granted. Right. So we are still sitting on that first book, that first section where Paul yeah. says, Paul, an apostle. Yet we read in, or someone mentioned in Acts one twenty two. that might have been you, uh, Yvonne, that in Acts 1, starting at actually Acts 1, 21, 22, we get the first Re, uh, the first appointment of a secondary apostle, a person, uh, Matthias, who's appointed to replace what we call an apostle. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with the whole time of the Lord Jesus, who was uh, living amongst us, beginning from, the, from John's baptism at the time when Jesus was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so the initial, um, the initial, uh, background or the initial re reference, the CV that you need to have to be an apostle was, of course, you had to be present there and see, see the risen Messiah. Well, does that mean that we, that since Jesus, once Jesus rose from the dead, we don't have apostles? No. Aha. Uh -huh. no. Okay. So. All promises that Jesus will continue to give us apostles until we all come to the unity of the faith. And we're okay. not there yet. Yes. Yeah. So which verse is that one in um, REA? It's in Ephesians, I believe, chapter four. All righty. Ephesians four. Anyone know the exact reference to it? Yes, yeah, should I know? I could go for it. 411, right? Yeah. Yes. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Until? Okay. Until? Until the end of the world. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> until we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god we Amen. need help Amen. so so in terms of like an apostle as it is today our uh, friend uh, moti viverman who is a uh, trained uh, chabad rabbi they often uh, if, if correct me if i'm wrong moti you guys get sent to um brooklyn is that right the headquarters and then from there, you were commissioned out. You become the shlichim. Is that right? Yeah. After you graduate to a place where you want to go, for example, you might want to go to Tampa, Florida, and they might send you to India. Uh -oh. So <laughs> that's a hard part of being a shlichim, sh actually. Yep. Yep. So, so you would be called a shlichim. But it's not the only organization who has this shlichim. There are many other small, big uh, Hasidic organizations who send shlichim messengers to other communities, messengers, agents, teachers, permanently or you know temporarily. It's and also Dominos has the same thing, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, as Yvonne said, I mean, shaliach it comes from the word shaluach, you know, means like one who is sent, 
who is sent by what? And sent by Aaron, sent by Shimshon. You know, it's it's basically it has uh, two meanings. You know, like three. Might, yeah, it might be like a religious agent or something else. You know, you can see numbers in divorce and all other stuff. You know, the Derash and also Dominus. You know, and it's very <laughs> common word that is used. Yeah. It, the three meanings are, are very important. Intermediary, the anointed, and the sent one. Yeah, and yeah. Yeshua is the intermediary. He is the sent one, and he is the anointed one. And this is why he sends the blind man there to send the message to the highest rabbis at that point in time. So those three meanings are really, really important, as Moti is saying. Yeah. We can't lose track of all three of them. And I Jesus is called the apostle and high priest of Jesus is called an apostle. Yeah. Oh, but it's well, also very which, interesting. Which text is that one? In, in Hebrews. Um, okay, Hebrews 3. I'll, I'll read the verse to you just for the sake of the others. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Ah, yes, I had never thought of that as well. So there you go. Not only is the Messiah an apostle, but uh, we've got Mordecai, an apostle over there as well. Because uh, he's a Chabad apostle, but he's also an apostle. Not anymore, of... not anymore. I'm trying to be apostle of him, not a Chabad, okay? Yeah, no, I understand. He, and, and now he's trying to be an apostle of the risen Lord, planted in Germany, uh, sent there, sharing his faith. So excellent. But I mean, there are also, you know, hmm? sorry, carry on. I mean, there are many churches who have this, uh, you know, position of apostles, you know, the new apostle church, the Mormons. I mean, you name it. There are there are apostles. I mean, but some churches think that the apostles were only the 12 apostles. And, uh, you know, they put the word apostle in a very holy state and they don't even, you know, and I call it. Yeah. We've got some of those here in Brazil. <laughs> you have apostles yeah. in Brazil? <laughs> yeah, and that's the one that the latter, the latter of what Morty was saying. <laughs> well, yes, the Didache. You all remember having studied the Didache with me a few times? Yeah. Yes, because in chapter 11, it says, uh, concerning teachers, apostles, and prophets. So the Didache, an early church document, did think that there was this, this office that was still called the apostle. And it says, but concerning apostles and prophets, act according to the decree of the gospel, the good news. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, because they're the sent one thereof. But he shall not remain more than one day or two days. If, if there's a need, if he remains three days, he is a false prophet. So it links apostle and prophets together. So the early early community um, didn't quite know, uh, I guess, how you would describe the word apostle, and they linked the role of prophet and apostle together. Uh, if the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread. If he asks for money, he's a false prophet. And uh, so it seems that these people were a part of the community and uh, and they, they had an office as such, which which as Mordecai said, you see in Ephesians 4. So they exist. However, why do we sometimes think that there's a difference between apostle 
and the apostles. Well, the New Testament has examples of people like Barnabas who are called an apostle but weren't in the first 12. Right. And, 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 and uh, in terms of our, our um, Bible, we, we, we want books in the Bible to have been written by an apostle. If all apostles were the same office, what would that mean for modern-day apostles? That they're just as authoritative. Does everyone understand what Aaron just said? No. Yeah. Okay. So try unpack that. Say it in a, in a different way. It would mean that just as the apostles had authority over the whole body of the church in their fashion, then all the apostles today, if they have that same qualification, would have that same authority. I would have to strongly object to the statement that the apostles had authority over the body of believers. It, it's unscriptural and it's contrary to the teaching of Jesus. I agree. Okay. So what do you mean by uh, that, REA? So unpack that one. But then go back to what Aaron is saying, because I haven't finished with him either yet. Jesus had apostles, and he carefully instructed them. He said, among the unbelievers, their princes and their great ones exercise authority over them and lordship over them but it shall not be so among you. The authority that Christ gave his apostles against, was against all power of the enemy and the powers of darkness. He did not give them authority over other people. Because oh, James, if you look at later, James, the brother of Christ, was the leader of the church and he wasn't one of the 12 apostles. A leader a leader is, is, a, is, is not an issue of authority. And the leader is one of an example and gifted in uh, bringing inspiring words and setting a good example. It's not necessarily exercising authority in the sense of uh, hierarchical uh, submission. Exactly. And even the apostles listened to James when he was head of that yes. church. Whoever had the anointing needed to be listened yeah. to. Yeah. Okay. So going now back to Aaron's point where um, it is viewed that apostles have some sort of authority um, in the past if you had a modern day apostle that had the same anointing what sort of authority could they exercise vis-a-vis -vis the bible if the bible is written the the books of the bible are accepted as canon only because why what is the canon what is the benchmark of why a book is in the bible because it's written by the holy spirit <laughs> No. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. No. Uh, well, it, it was the consistency of the message is what they looked at. And if it was taking the church in a different direction or had a bent to it, then they usually they set it aside for later study. Okay. Um, but in terms of that's how they I know that's at least what they do today. They look okay. at the consistency of the oldest text and say, yes, it fits in. Uh, whereas Luther well, wanted to throw That's unbelievably in. subjective. Yes. Rio and Aaron, because um, it's un subjective. I mean, that's the reason why we've got lots of different Bibles. So Carino and uh, Aaron, are the, I think the, the most freshest from Bible college. Carino says eyewitness accounts. Okay. You could, you could have a book of the Bible if it was. An eyewitness account. And who were the eyewitnesses? Largely apostles. And so they 
were very keen to always ascribe an author to being an eyewitness. They had that, that that's how, that's, that was the, the, the benchmark. Now, if the, you have apostles who exercise authority um, and they can get to say stuff and write Bible, what's the danger if we run around and keep calling people apostles? Yeah, we can write more Bible. We can start saying things that are not in or, the Bible. And, or, lording uh, over, and or lording over the flock. Lording over the flock, which REA says they're not supposed to do. Okay. And, uh, you know, and they'll start as an apostle, you need to be uh, obey me. And, and, and I can start saying things that become essentially gospel. And, and what uh, you're saying is true, Aaron, because there's also a false doctrine going around um, where there are supposed apostles and they are supposed to be over cities, over towns, over various right. things. And they're supposed to control that whole area. Yeah, and it's very dangerous. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I've met a few and I just looked at them and said, really, you're, you're in the same vein as guys who write the Bible? Wow. That is. <laughs> so, and um, okay, so I'll go with REA, like, no, that's, that's not the rule, role of an apostle. <laughs> that started in the second century in which the bishops started to rule over their churches. Yeah. Yeah. That was the gospel of the Nicolaitans. Yes. In, um, in Numbers, we also have, uh, in number 16, we have also a shaliyah. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. So this, there was a sent one in the power of, of um, Hashem, which they, you know, of course, could be Moses. And he was, he was also Shaliach. Sending yeah, him I just want to answer to Aaron's question. You know, uh, basically Shaliach means who is sent by God or by, by Yeshua, right? And okay. you can know them by their fruits. You don't need mm -hmm. to call them apostles. If you do call them apostles, that means probably you knew their fruits and what they have been doing, and then therefore you call them apostles. But you shouldn't call everybody apostles, you know? Okay. And if they don't have any fruits, then, you know, if, if I claim to be a saint by God, then people will know me from my fruits. But if you, if you are not sent by somebody, God or Yeshua, then you're not an apostle, not a shilia. You know, you shouldn't claim to be one. Agreed. May I offer a, a, a larger, more general thought as well that I believe should encourage all of us. God being a spirit is invisible, intangible, and does not connect materially to this world. He depends on representatives only. He, he chooses and he equips and he sends representatives, everyone. This lies behind Jesus' instruction for prayer, which I don't believe we've apprehended and practiced enough. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers into the harvest. Mm -hmm. We pray for him to save people, save nations, whatever. He, he turns around and says, mm, who do we have on the ground there that can that do this work for us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. So, guys, um, there's our Shaliyah over there in Berlin. May, uh, may you physically represent the Messiah to, uh, to that community over there. Okay, so what a fascinating discussion that we've had this last uh, nearly hour based on one word, the apostle. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and 
did they finish with the 12 or 13 or 14 or however many there were? Um, what was their role? What do we call a modern day apostle? Is he, is he something that just simply brings you pizza or is he something a little bit more than that? And, um, and I think Aria hit on a really good point that God works through human agents, which is what we saw through the last words of Moses. He was constantly working and talking and, and, and acting through the people of Israel, human agents. God delights to not only dwell with his people, but to be revealed to others through his people. And uh, there is this role and office and function of the shaliach, of, uh, of the sent one. And that has is still with us to this day until uh, until all things have become accomplished. Very there is, good. however, I'm sorry, I was just going to add, in, as what Arie said in Matthew chapter 28, it's interesting because in general, the church in general, you know, it um, it says, okay, uh, what's the grant? The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and with Son and the Holy Spirit. But we usually forget the other part teaching them to observe all Correct. that I commanded. So a shaliach is sent one right through Yeshua and he and, and, our, and the role is to teach everything that he has commanded. So uh, we forget that part. <laughs> no, good point, Yvonne. And uh, you can recognize a, a false apostle as Mordecai said by their fruit. They're teaching bad stuff. Not only that, they're doing bad stuff. And, uh, yep, very good. Okay, so at the time that this is written, we have these apostles that um, uh, were eyewitnesses of God. There were, as a book of Acts says, there was about 120 of the guys. But there was this little inner group which they wanted to elect a new one to. And um, Paul is not part of that group. People knew that this group existed. People knew that there had been these special, special eyewitnesses, special close friends of, of the Messiah. And that held them in some sort of esteem, some sort of honor. It did. Of course it did. And I don't think anyone here would say that it didn't. That is, if you met me and you met Peter there's a pretty good chance you might feel a little bit more awe standing in the presence and talking to Peter than you would some idiot from Australia. Uh, why was that? Because it's Peter. And so there was a little sense. And so somehow Paul, when he begins his epistle, he needs to tell us what type of apostle he is. So he says, Paul, an apostle. But he doesn't just stop there. He then begins uh, the rest of the sentence. It's a sent one, a shaliach. Sent not from who? Not from man. Not by a man. But I am sent from the Messiah and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so the uh, resurrection's thrown in there too. Right from the beginning, the resurrection is a powerful event that is, uh, is an inherent and intrinsical part of the good news. If there is no resurrection, there is no good news. So um, why do you think uh, Paul has to stay, state this sentence? It's a level of authority uh, directly from God rather than 
just Jesus the man, it's the resurrected Jesus. Say that again, uh, Steve. It's, it's the resurrected Jesus, which is both God and man resurrected, whereas before the authority that was given to the other apostles were with the man who is in the flesh, God. So it's a little different authority level post-resurrection. So that, that's why he would also say the power of the resurrection that's within you. Um, he, I mean, everything's about the resurrection to him in his focus. Okay, yeah. So, so there's, there's a, a different level of authority uh, that's been given. All right. Okay, can I add a couple of thoughts? There's two verses in, in 1 Corinthians 9 that he, where Paul expands his qualification as an apostle. Okay. And, <clears throat> so this is... Um, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2. I'll read it. And Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you, in other words, the Corinthian church, are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So apostle is not just sent. It actually matters in terms of their credibility, really, what they achieve on the ground. In other words, can they plant churches? Can they bring them through into, into maturity? Can they sustain them? Yeah, and yeah. adding on to what you said, Neville, in Acts 26, um, when he tells of his conversion, he says, uh, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you. And for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which I ha you have seen and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's almost a repeat of Ephesians when he talks about how their old life was and what their new life is in Jesus. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find um, the passage that Neville wrote in, in Corinthians to have two streams to it. One, what does Paul say? That he has seen Jesus. Now, why does he say that? Why is that so important to say? I'd argue that in agencies, I'm going to legalese here, for an agent, do you have the authority to act on behalf of the principal? And even if you don't have it, are you still trying to act as if you do? And then are the people bound by it? So it, it starts to get complicated. But is the authority there? Is the authority given to Paul? And so I, I think that's why he puts it there. Well, we have to rely on Paul. And that's about all we have to go on, is what Paul says. No, I don't think that's true. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, we, we have a whole lot of fruit that we can see and attribute to Paul. Good oh, yeah. fruit. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Vision of uh, Christians and Jews, yeah. Yeah. So Paul, at the, at the time of Paul's writing, remember... In Acts, they elect somebody based on what curriculum? Based on that he had seen the Messiah. So there was in the milieu of the first, the first century, you could be a special apostle 
if you had seen the Messiah. Well, Paul doesn't have that, but he does. He says he does. Correct. He, he says he does, and he does based on what it happened in the Damascus experience. And so his initial biography, right at the start, where he's trying to lay down his apostleship, he doesn't just say, I'm an apostle like the guy down the road. Okay? I'm, a, I'm one of those special ones. I am not sent by a man. I am not from men. I am from the Messiah himself. And that's where he gets his, and so you better listen. And so he is, that's part of his uh, apostleship. The other part of his apostleship is fruit. You can see in it. He had established communities. He had guarded them. He had kept them uh, on the straight and narrow. And he had, uh, uh, whenever they had gotten into trouble, he was there writing, correcting, rebuking, adding, um, explaining a little bit more, uh, and all of that uh, stuff, especially when, yeah when we get into a bit more later uh, parts. All right. So Paul is an apostle, but there's two streams of apostleship going on. Uh, the ones who have seen the Messiah and the ones who are sent. And uh, Paul says, I am not sent by a man. I do not come just from a human agency. I've not been sent from Jerusalem. James didn't send me. Uh, Barnabas didn't lay hands on me. Um, I've got this very special anointing, and it comes from the Messiah himself and God the Father. And he adds in yeah, the resurrection. And it's interesting. Could, it, could it be that um, his um, reference? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, his reference to God the Father and to Jesus, as as uh, as in Deuteronomy, right? Uh, he always is referencing, you know, this, his authority and his, uh, by the evidence of two or three witnesses in Deuteronomy, right? Two witnesses or of three witnesses shall be a charge established. So he, it's interesting that he's, he, he uses that principle. Okay. Yeah. Jesus, the Messiah, the Mashiach, and then the father. We, mm -hmm. And remember in the book of Deuteronomy, that's the first time that God has ever called the father is, uh, is actually in, in, in Moses's song. Okay. But yeah. Okay, so Shimshon? Yes. Um, could it be that um, Paul's apostleship was being contested or being challenged that this line had to be put in? And um, in my translation, it is in um, parentheses. Um, could it be that it was added by later um, people or it, 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 this was an initial statement by Paul? Okay, those are some good questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat them, and then I'm going to turn to Aria, who can read the Greek. Okay, so why does, why does Paul have to put this in? Is there actually a, um, a complaint about him that says, oh, don't listen to Paul. He has, he's not one of the original. He's a ring-in. And um, that's, that's, not a, that's not a bad argument, is it, if you think about it at the time period. Okay, so he needs to say this. And the other thing is, is this actually an insertion in a later text? Now, I haven't um, done a trace on the different manuscript transmissions. Those are available. They really are. You can, you can check manuscripts and see where words appear in, in the Bible. Um, Aria, you read the Greek. Does it look like an insertion? No, the first two verses of Galatians are uh, uh, completely un undisputed, unanimous, all the early manuscripts. Uh, 
I don't think there's a problem or a, an issue with the Greek here. There is, however, it's a very good question as to why he puts this here. And I suggest we could bear in mind uh, from an overview of this book, he is about to lay into and take on the entire established and, and revered and honored line of apostles from Jerusalem on. Everyone comes in and he's, he's laying it into all of them. He needs to establish his credentials here, or he's trying to anyway. He's trying to, yeah. But uh, yeah, right. And he starts off pretty bold, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 I'm not from a man. It's from God. This is actually in Hebrew, you would call this derech hashlila. You would describe what you're not from first. Okay. Um, what is derech hashlila? It's a, it's a very Jewish uh, form of, of talking. You, you describe things by what you're not. Like if someone says, tell me about God, you start saying things like God is not a tree. God is not a rock. Elimination. Okay? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so he starts off right from the, I'm not from men. I'm not, it's not by a man. I'm not sent from the, the, these other guys. I'm sent by this, by the, the, the boss himself, okay? Uh, Avenu Hashemaim and uh, Mashiach. Mm -hmm. He also uh, says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, for I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay. I don't know where to take that, Yvonne. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, the, the whole idea of uh, you're known by the fruit, right? By yes. the fruit you're known. There so you that's go. adding on to that. It is, yes. And that is, I guess, I mean, from, a, from, a, from the perspective that we see, that's probably the biggest um, application of his apostleship. We can see the fruit that came out of it. Um, because obviously we were not present at the Damascus Road. We read it as sacred history in the book of Acts, and it's confirmed later by the apostles, the other guys called apostles, and, um, and then, and then it's, 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 it's confirmed again by the fruit that comes from the Spirit. Excellent. Well, Dare I say I start verse two, just a little bit, <laughs> for five minutes. So Paul's an apostle, hooray, but he's not by himself. He says, and all the brothers that are with me, okay? And, um, and he doesn't name them, okay? Um, he just calls them the other few. And uh, in, in, in Jewish terms, who would be the achim? Who would be... These people, do you think? Have Bonnet left Okay, yep. People, the crowd. Yep, he's got the crowd behind him, and most of them, of course, are Jews. Okay, and uh, which, which is interesting in this book because prior, okay, to the late Second Temple period, the only people you could call brothers were Jews. Now, now, what Paul does is he starts applying the term to non-Jews. That's a big step. Now, you don't have to believe me, but there's a, a lady called uh, Professor Claire Fan who did her um, PhD thesis on, on just this word, Adelphu, and how it changes in the New Testament, looking at it from Jewish sources and into the New Testament, which is a Jewish book, and saying, look at how powerful this word is, that suddenly we begin to call Gentiles 
brothers. Today we call that, in Hebrew, we call everyone an achi. Literally everyone, okay? You meet somebody and you say, hey, achi, can you please give me a piece of bread or tell me the time? Um, now, back, back in the day, you probably did not say that, okay? Certainly not in a written text. Um, but here, Paul initially begins, hey, I'm, I'm with a bunch of the achim, okay? Most likely for him at the moment, these are actually a period of, of Jews. This is true. However, uh, in the text you're going to find, he ends up calling a bunch of Gentiles the achim as well. And that is a powerful statement uh, in, in, the, in the early, early first century among the believers that God would dare accept Gentiles as Gentiles. Uh, uh, of course, that is, of course, spoken of by the prophets and by the Psalms and should have been well known uh, amongst the people of Israel. And, of course, some people did because Simeon says it, correct? When he meets the Messiah, the Messiah would be a light to Gentiles. Gentiles. Correct. All right, guys. Okay. All right. We managed to get through two verses. Fantastic. At this rate, it's going to take us the next 66 years uh, to finish this book. All right. I'm so glad it's only six chapters. But you can see the, the, the power that's, that sits inside just a few um, words, which we will unpack when we meet them. Okay. So, uh, brothers and sisters, thanks for uh, studying and wrestling the text. And uh, see you next week. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King